Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Tina Arena is an iconic Australian singer, songwriter, record producer, actress, and performing artist. With 10 million records sold worldwide, several ARIA awards, two World Music Awards, an ALMA award, 12 studio albums, four live albums, four compilations, 45 singles, 36 music videos, and a best-selling autobiography under her belt, her presence continues to shape the Australian musical landscape and was inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in November 2015. Tina's supreme vocal skill and creativity has provided for a diverse body of work ranging from musical theatre to classical, rock, pop, dance and beyond. With critically acclaimed performances in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Nine, Cabaret, Chicago, Notre Dame de Paris, On London's West End and Evita, directed by Tony Award winner The Late Hell Prince. Tina has also shared the stage with world-renowned artists such as Lionel Richie, Donna Summer, Andrea Bocelli, Glenn Close, Antonio Banderas, Zucro, Mark Anthony, Elaine Page, amongst many others. With over five decades in the entertainment industry and with much more still to come, up next on Celebs Vant, we've got Tina Arena. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? I am in currently at home in Melbourne, Australia. What am I doing? I am preparing. I'm a few days away from the release of my new record. And it's been a very, very busy, busy time mm. getting all of that together and doing everything that comes in between as well. So but it's pretty crazy time. Yeah. But it's it's exciting too yes. because I can feel that things are changing and moving. And I think that that's really important. Mm. Now let's rewind. For anyone who has un- been under a rock or <laughs> is unsure, the hybrid version <laughs> of the Tina Arena story. So what, at what age did you realize, whether it was a child, a teenager, to realize, okay, cool, I want to be the, in the entertainment industry. And how did that journey accumulate to where we are today? Well, I was very young. I had really started singing as early as I was perhaps stringing sentences together. Mm-hmm. My older sister was a massive music fan. So I was exposed to listening to really wonderful rich, diverse, a, a real diverse set, uh, cross-section of music, you know, Italian, sort of French, English, all sorts of things. So that was pretty early. So I was singing pretty much from the age of four, five, and then I was the flower girl at a cousin's wedding, mm-hmm. and there were quite a few people at that wedding, and I decided to pester my father and say, could you ask the MC if I could sing? So he finally mustered up the courage after much persuasion from me and went up and asked him and they allowed me to get up and sing and, and I sang a song. And then a lot of people came up to my parents afterwards and said, well, I think your kid, she's got a voice, so mm-hmm. why don't you take her to this vocal teacher? So I started with a vocal teacher for about two or three months and she had a wonderful relationship with the TV host of a TV show called Young Talent Time, okay. which was a sort of Australian version of sort of the Mickey Mouse Club, but not exactly the same. So mm-hmm. I participated on that. I appeared on it because I had a section on the show that was dedicated to contestants. I was one of those three contestants. I appeared four times, one out of the three times that I appeared 
all between the ages of sort of six and a half to to seven and a half. And then I was asked to join the show. I Obviously, my parents, you know, were a little trepidatious about that in the beginning because, like, what, who's this kid and how did she get on TV? So did that, but then I then they allowed me to follow my dream and I started with the show and I grew grew up on TV from about the age of eight to almost 16. So that's when my career started, late 70s. Been a while. Been a while. <laughs> and you've released a number of albums and been in the industry for a number of years from that age of 16 to where we are now how did it the television lead into the recording and being a performer well i'd always had big dreams probably no different to you know most mm. kids who dream i think young talent time was an incredible opportunity and a platform to learn a craft that obviously then opened up a lot of doors as well but you know, it was also very difficult when you're typecast as a kid, child performer. Oh, yeah. A lot of them don't really sort of embrace the evolution that comes with that. You know, it's probably a bit, di- bit it's a little more different now, I guess, a little easier than what it was back mm. then. So from the time that I left TV, I knew that I had to finish my school from 16. I had to finish my schooling. I had two years left, did that managed to pass and then continued and started gigging live and recording jingles for TV and radio. And then from then on, I come across the producer who agreed to do my very first record, which was a record called Strong as Steel before Don't Ask. And from that record, Strong as Steel spawned a, a song called I Need Your Body, which was number two in the country. And it really took me from teenager, teenager to a young sort of adolescent young lady, 21, 22, and it made a bit of a dent. And then um, I continued to do my thing during that time because obviously there were people that were happy and there were still people that were unbelievably sceptical. <laughs> so I just decided to learn about my craft even more. So I, you know, I decided to learn how to properly songwrite. So I made some money in a musical and put it aside and took myself off to L.A. in, in 1990 and started writing with different people and accumulating material. So I did that in 1990, 91, even 92, started to meet some people in the in the music business on a more serious level and credible level. And then in 1993, I signed to Sony Australia from that time. And then I started, I was writing Don't Ask, and that record was spawned and written in 1993 and probably the beginning of 1994. So it was about a year and a half of pretty solid songwriting to accumulate that material. Don't Ask was born and and so the journey started. Yes. So when those people were sceptical at that time, did it get to you or did you just say, okay, it's just them, it's not me, I'm just going to carry on and do my best? How did you overcome that scepticism? I think the subconscious just kept going and moving forwards. Um, I think the conscious was really feisty, though. I was really tired. I just went, you know, I didn't understand. I was like, come on, I do what I do. You know, I had enough confidence in, in what it is that I was, that I did, that I was producing musically. My self esteem wasn't incredibly confident, but music, I knew that I was doing the right thing and I knew that I was where I belonged. Mm. That's what I knew. I didn't have any other answers to anything. Okay. But I knew that I was legitimate. So you've been writing music for a number of de- uh, decades. Your writing process from zero to a three to four minute song, what is that process for you? Has it changed over years? Is it always the same? Is it easy? Usually I have to have 
have lived something or a period of life in order to be able to go into a studio to have anything to say and write about. That's why there's usually lengthier periods between records with me because I'm too busy living life because you've got it. Exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't live life, well, then you've got nothing to talk about. Turns out that, you know, turns out that, you know, some of the choices that I've made in my life has also given me wonderful fodder to be able to write about. I tend to go away and live and, you know, some experiences are beautiful and some of them are equally difficult. Some of them are understandable and others are completely incomprehensible. So once you do a a bit of a tour of all of that, then you usually have something (laughs) to say. I I certainly treat those creative sessions a little bit like therapy, really. The therapy comes through the musical channel. Yes. You know, you conjure something out of absolutely nothing. And is it a quick process or is it sometimes a lengthy process? Oh, look, it it really does vary. I mean, I usually, when I write, I will block out periods of time and dedicate that time purely and solely to writing and and no other distractions. Other than life, you know, sometimes it can happen really fast. Sometimes it might take a longer, lengthier period of time. I think it depends on your headspace. Okay. And do you, you always, always write by yourself or do you ever collaborate with other artists? No, I like, I, I like to collaborate. You know, that doesn't mean that I don't write songs on my own because I do. Yes. But you know, I do, I do like a sounding board. Mm. I always have. I think, yeah, I'm just one of those people that really love, that loves bouncing off somebody yeah. else. And the, the latest album, I was listening to it last week. And I love it. I love that song, uh, Dancing on Thin Ice. It's mm. a beautiful song, but I love the whole, whole body of work. So let's unpack the new work a bit. Was it more of happy experiences that allowed it to happen or more of the negative ones? It's kind of a combination of both. It really is. Um, there are some really beautiful moments and, you know, and, and they reveal themselves naturally on the record and equally really tragic and tough moments yes. that, you know, poignancy and things and things that you live that you're able to thankfully uh, document musically. It's probably it's the best way. I knew how to. With this latest album compared to the others, you, I know you do the writing. Are you always been, since the beginning, uh, involved in the production side of things? Not so much. I mean, yes, yes and no. Obviously, okay. if I don't like the production, I'm, I'm certainly very vocal about it. And I'll also make musical suggestions as well. And, you know, I've done things on past records where I've had to play parts of whatever on keyboard and done sort of that stuff. But I do... Leave the producing to somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, there are different strengths. Yes. Play to your strengths. Yes. Exactly. I don't believe that production is, is a strength. However, I know what I don't want. Okay. And I, <laughs> and I have a, that's for sure. And I have a pretty good idea of, of the things that I like. Okay. So I will generally be involved in, in that direction in, in some way and now, sometimes not at all. Sometimes not at all, because you're just trusting that sounding board. Exactly. You've got to trust that sounding board. Again, yes. you know, I've got to feel it and love it. If there's something I don't like, I will interject, you know, yes. and sort of, and, and we'll find, we'll find a happy ground. So when you say you don't like something, is it an energy feeling? Is it a head feeling, a heart feeling? 
What is the feeling that allows you to think, okay, this part I don't like? Well, in the songwriting aspect, if there's something that I don't like, it will, for me, it just won't emote me. I won't you know, feel anything for it. And if I don't feel something, well, whatever that feeling needs to be, if I don't feel it, it ain't right. And on the production side, once a song is finished, so and that vocal part of you says, Okay, this part I don't like, what is that for you? I know when I know when the vocals landed. Again, it's uh, it's when you are totally appeased and you go, Okay, uh, yeah, this 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 okay. okay, this ticks this ticks the boxes. And I'm tough. Um, I'm tough on myself. <laughs> okay. I think we all I'm are. I'm giggling because I'm the same on myself. <laughs> yeah, like I, I will, I will always try and refine something yes. as much as I can. Can't help it. Yeah. You know, I just can't help it. So that's what that's what I'll I will try and do. It's yes. got to move me first. And if it doesn't move you, do do you tweak it or do you? Throw it away completely. I can sometimes tweak it and it works, and then other times I will throw it away. Now, I also read up that you've acted on stage in a number of different musicals. What do you mm. enjoy about doing that? Getting lost in a character, getting lost in a musical score, score, telling a story to its truest form, working in an ensemble, feeling that that beautiful thing that you feel when you work in a team. You know, because when you're a solo artist, you know, you spend a lot of time alone. So it's lovely. I love being with my musicians and my band because it gives us an opportunity to all be together and to, and to have that human experience, which is, you know, pretty amazing. <laughs> um, it absolutely is. So yeah, I think that's it. And when you've been in the, on those stage productions, because the audience only comes to one show a week. And naturally, there are mm. eight shows a week. It's on every night. You mm. understand it's a lot of rehearsals, mm. a lot of work. Mm. How do you keep your energy up to maintain that space? That's not always easy. That's always a balancing act. Okay. That's a balancing act to be able to do that. You know, you have to, your support network has to be incredible when you, when you do a show like that. Because it is intense. You are running a marathon. It's nonstop. It's, you know, it's six or eight shows a week. You know, my last show that I did was a Vita, mm -hmm. for fuck's sake. It wasn't. <laughs> it was, it's certainly not a walk in the park as a piece of theatre. And then, you know, spending, you know, most of that show on the stage is phenomenal. I think you have to keep a very healthy mind. You've got to eat well. You've got to sleep well. And you really have to try and remain as stress-free as you can, which obviously is virtually impossible, darling. Yes. <laughs> or maybe focus on that. Try and let it be the healthy stress, <laughs> if that's possible. Yeah, correct. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what you do. So there's a lot of you got you. There's a lot of things you have to you have to resolve within yourself, really. Yeah. So you got to yeah, you got to prioritize those things. Massive work. I love this game, and I recognize if I had to ask you this question in five minutes, five days, five hours, I understand, and I know your answer will be different every single time. I'm not necessarily saying favorite, but if you had to push play to five songs by other artists once we were finished this conversation what would those songs be and by whom both sides now Joni Mitchell relax Frankie goes to Hollywood everybody wants to rule the world tears for fears yellow by Coldplay mm -hmm. one more song shit 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 uh, an Adele song okay yeah her okay. early start rolling in rolling in the deep rolling in the deep fab yeah fab track <laughs> 
What's just the- an, a, just, just, a, it's just a, yeah, it's a fuck you, off, fuck off track. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. It's so good. Uh, so, Tina, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So, as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? I, I guess I'd like to say to the, to, to the audiences that are listening around the world and that may have heard my material, I'd like to say thank you for listening and, um, thank you for following that mad adventure that I decide to go on every single time. Just know that it comes from a really honest place with all its imperfections, but ultimately thank you very much for listening to it. And I really hope that I get the opportunity to come and meet you all to say hi. 